informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne parrot founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week we're going to hit the really spicy debate around the need to be a qualified dog trainer. Now as many of you may or may not know, in the UK there is no legal requirement for a dog trainer to be qualified. This means that anyone can set up a dog training business without any formal national certification. This debate has been going on for many years with people on both sides making valid points. And in today's podcast with LWDG Group expert Claire Denya and LWDG Group expert Emma Stevens, we look at the pros and cons of having a qualified dog trainer to help you make your own decision. How are we both today? Yeah, really good. Thank you, Joe. This is um, an exciting podcast to be part of. Yeah, I'm good too, Joe. Um, it's something that I get asked a lot, like what qualifications do you have when I get new clients come to me? So, and it's something that I'm seeing on social media a lot as well, like what is qualified and, and how people are trying to look for qualified trainers. So it should be an interesting topic to discuss today. Without a doubt, this podcast will be um, commented on by both sides and we want to make a, a, bring a balanced view to it. So let's start with the the actual status as it is at the moment in the UK. There is no regulated dog training qualification. Um, for example, if you were a hairdresser, you'd have to be qualified to a nationally recognised level. And that would be a legal requirement. In the UK at the moment, there is nothing like that at all for dogs, is there? No. So it's it's an unre- it's, it's classed as an unregulated unre- industry, which means you aren't you don't have to adhere to necessarily a governing body or um, a standard. You don't have to carry out um, CPD or continuing professional development every year to to maintain your status. Um, You don't have to pay to be a part of a membership for anything. Um, You don't have to do courses to become a member of anything either to to be a dog trainer or even a behaviorist either. So there's obviously there's different things out there that people can do to train and um, gain more knowledge and experience and things. But as it stands, there is technically no such thing as a qualified dog trainer. Yeah, Em's absolutely right. We are a completely unregulated business and obviously there are some cons to that and also some positives to that. Um, As Em just touched on, there are lots of organisations and I think a lot of the confusion that we see is people that are part of certain organisations will have qualifications under that umbrella company. Um, and so they can say that they're a qualified trainer or qualified behaviorist under such and such umbrella. 
which I think to your average dog owner out there will look like, oh, wow, this problem, this person has qualifications that are meaningful, um, but actually it's unregulated. So you are only under the umbrella of that company and that company's very specific program or rules or um, their training methods. Um, so this is where it can become very complicated for people to understand how to find the right trainer for them. So we know that there is like a range of options for going to be certified, shall we say. And they can go from, you can go and do a three-year nationally accredited degree in animal behaviour, or you can go and do a 9.99 voucher dog behaviorist type qualification. Don't have to finish it, and then they'll just send it to you in the post. Um, the, and both people can say, "I am a certified because they've got a certificate behaviorist." But we all know there is a huge, vast difference between the two, isn't it? Yeah, there's a huge difference. And equally, there's then also a difference of if you've gone and got a university degree, then also how many actual dogs training physically have you got under your belt whilst you were studying your degree as well. So that's that crossover with the, the, the good thing about being unregulated is that you have to also do this practical element as well, because you can't just be a dog trainer from from study and, and books. You have to have gone and done this kind of um, practical element as well. So it's for me, it's that real mix of both that are needed to be able to form a dog trainer if you haven't necessarily come into it and almost grown up with it and grown into the into the job role as such. I think the most terrifying thing from what you've just said there, Em, which is spot on, the most terrifying thing is some of these qualifications, those people have never even owned a dog, let alone worked with a variety of dogs. It's all um, theory based. And don't get me wrong, theory is super important. Understanding how dogs learn and understanding dog training super important obviously of course it is and that's why we all study as hard as we do um but the fact is those qualifications some of those qualifications don't necessarily mean that that person is experienced in handling dogs so let's talk a little bit about the pros of any certification okay so um is it a case that for whatever certification that you can hold your name, it shows that you've invested time into it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's such a difficult one because doing this podcast and I do have certificates and what you would call qualifications, things that I've studied towards and done, but I understand and I recognise they're for my own learning and for my own development and because I want to be the very best that I can. Um, so it's understanding that difference. But I think the frightening thing for the dog owner is they don't understand that mechanic of how that really works. And But we know we're doing it for us. We're doing these courses and qualifications and we have experience. But that's not to say the case for everybody. Yeah, I agree. I mean a lot of the 
industries that have taken time to form modules and had lecturers come in that have studied um, animal behavior, canine training, all of that to a very high standard, plus got years and years of practical experience as well. It's only going to benefit any trainer to go and continue their professional development and choose to do CPD, which is one of the pros of these organizations and things like that is that you are actually choosing, which shows to anybody looking for a dog trainer that 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 trainer in particular is choosing to stay up to date with current methods. They're choosing to invest financially in their own business and their own um, education. And they're also therefore then also invested in your training as well, because they're then surrounding themselves with a lot of people to be able to help them if they've never come across a certain behavior or a certain problem before. They've met a load of people on a course. They've met a load of instructors and other trainers that are teaching them. So they're kind of creating this network of, of professionals to help them should they come across a problem in their own client base as well. So those are the pros of it. But it's also very difficult to find which ones are the good ones that's the that's the biggest thing as well is as a dog trainer or as somebody that wants to start off maybe you've just finished college and you want to go into dog training which ones do you pick and how do you find out which ones are the good ones because again those organizations and certifications and everything are also unregulated we're not just talking about dog trainers the actual businesses and those modules are also unregulated so how do you know which ones are the good ones and which ones are the bad ones they're really interesting points um and I think one of the really important things you just touched on um, was people coming out of college or people um, going into the work and wanting to train with dogs. And I think what we see so often, people will say, I mean, let's face it, we've got trainers and behaviourists um, who have got 30 years experience but are training dogs very badly. We've also got trainers and behaviourists that have been working with dogs for 13 years and doing it incredibly well and have no qualifications. You've then got people just coming into the job role that are naturally very good with dogs at reading dogs' body language and communicating with people. And then you've got people who maybe are saying to them, well, you haven't got any experience, but everyone has to start somewhere. So you have to do it to gain experience. But then equally, you've got people coming in and running training classes with no experience that are not very good. <laughs> so it comes, it's like the four quadrants, isn't it? But across with trainers, really. Um, but you've got all of this happening. So what a minefield it is. But the, the issue that we have, if this were to become a regulated industry, this is my worry. There's some very good trainers with no qualifications who are doing phenomenal things with dogs day in and day out. Where would that leave them? You've then got trainers who maybe have degrees or other things that they're getting under these umbrella companies. Um, and they're not very good, but on paper it looks good. But then who's going to make the decision if it was regulated on how it's regulated? What would the methods be? that would be regulated, that would be allowed, what would be banned, what would be okay? How on earth do you do that when you've got so many divides in the training community? So 
if you then looked at that as like veterinary medicine, for instance, they've got the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, which is their governing body for the regulations. And every university that offers veterinary medicine in the country has to teach according to their module. Now, what you would probably have if we tried to regulate dog training and behavior, dog behavior, um, you would have all of these little umbrella companies fighting to go my course is better than your course and my course covers this and my course covers this and i don't think you would be able to form this governing body that say veterinary medicine and even um, human medicine have where you've got this body of people to answer to and your course structures are, are done alongside it it would be very very difficult i think to regulate dog training in in general and then obviously you've got the umbrellas of different dog training you've got agility dog sports canny cross gun dog training, scent work, general protection, obedience. There's so many bits showing underneath it that then where you where would you then decipher off those kind of specialities to as well? It would be really difficult. I'm going to throw a spar in the works now. Um, but if you look at the outdoor industry, where they, they face quite a lot of the same things, you know, you've got like canoeing and kayaking and climbing and gorge walking and, and kayaking and all these loads of little different types of specialities that all come under the umbrella. The umbrella of outdoor activities doesn't specifically have a qualification, but what it does have is a recognition of the, the specialities. So, for example, they may say you want a level one or level two or level three in kayaking. You know, there's, there's these like set appreciation of one another. So from a personal perspective, because obviously we can't talk about um, the, the industry as a whole across the UK or speak for them. Personally, why do you think there hasn't been this like these strands forming? Like, for example, why has a strand not formed in gun dog training that says this is what a, a qualified gun dog trainer should look like in the UK. Why do you guys think that hasn't happened? Well, <laughs> some organisations are saying that has happened. And this is the problem you've got. It hasn't happened. It isn't. But you have got organisations out there saying that their way is, you know, their trainers are qualified under this, that and the other. And, and that's the way to go because you know they believe their way is the right way and anything else is not acceptable so actually this is where it's difficult because some umbrella those people are saying that they're saying they have got that but it actually doesn't really mean anything it's their viewpoint and of course everybody is um open to having their own views their own personal feelings on things um but to go around advertising and marketing that that is the way that it's done and they are qualified is actually misleading isn't it because it's not a nationally recognized qualification we are unregulated so that's technically not it's not mis-selling because under that umbrella they are qualified but only under that umbrella under their terms and conditions i think terms and conditions is probably the easiest word to say about it is it emma yeah i mean any any dog sport that now has some form of competition and paid competition where there's prizes to be won will have obviously their own module system as such if you wanted to say that so like agility has grades so you compete and you have to do 
a certain amount of shows and training and all of that kind of stuff to go up the grades and then you have to compete in that grade and place in that grade before you're allowed to go up same with sort of like our trials and tests in gun dogs you yeah. can enter as a novice dog novice handler and once you've placed in that you go into novice um or you'd start in puppy and once you've placed in puppy or the dog goes over the age limit you'd go into novice and once you'd come um first in a novice you then couldn't enter novice again you'd enter open the thing is, is obviously that is still done by personal opinion because the judges on the day may be looking for something slightly different. You could have put the dog in the same situation on the same day with a slightly different judge and it may not have seen what the other judge did see. Yes, we've got rules and regulations from the Kennel Club that, that deem what they're looking for and they'll have done their JREGs and their judging certificates and all of that kind of stuff. But again, it's still personal preference. What I might see in a Labrador, Claire might see completely differently and not like it in that Labrador, but I would love it. And the same when you look at showing as well, there's very experienced show judges in all of the different breeds looking at stuff. But again, it's it's them looking at it and them deciding, yes, this meets the show standard or this meets it. So it's really, really objective. Um and depends on kind of almost the judge that's that's looking on the day but we do have sort of umbrella bits in bits of the dog sports um where there's a competitive level going on um yeah. there's a lot of ma- there's a massive amount of the population that have no interest in competing their pet they just want a lovely pet that recalls across the park and heals and doesn't drag the kids over when they're walking to school um which is fine it's then when do they where do they find their trainers when you're also then looking at nothing to do with dog sports either the really really terrifying thing and everything we've just said is all you know this is all truth you know we're we're saying this because we we don't want clients to be misled that's why we're being so open and honest about this we don't want people being misled but the thing that frightens me the most is very often on forums, on Facebook groups, all over the place, you'll see people saying, you need a behaviorist for this. You need to see a trainer for that. You need to see a qualified behaviorist. You need to see a clinical behaviorist. You need to see a behaviorist trainer for this. You need <laughs> All these things are being said, which technically we now, as we've just discussed, this is unregulated. So who makes that decision? The umbrella companies that are doing this for themselves. But then what happens is, What scares me is you have people coming into the industry with no experience or qualifications or very little experience and no qualifications. And they think that running a puppy class is super easy without actually understanding the nuances of dog behavior, dog body language, um, and how these dogs are so not vulnerable, but yes, vulnerable, I suppose, could be used as that word, but impressionable. And if you look at the amount of behavior cases we're working with, um, you know, M, you and I are seeing more and more off the scale, serious behavioral problems um, in very young dogs, dogs that are like less than two years of age, that are aggressive, they are resource guarding, they are biting, they're doing behaviors that they really shouldn't be doing. And their informative kind of critical months and weeks of their life, the messages have been wrong, you know. And it's the fact that you've got people going into this industry and perhaps getting that wrong is also adding to our problems with dogs in society now. 
Emma? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, um, and something you said um, before the puppy class was that people are naming themselves or naming what they should be looking for when yeah. one we're unregulated. So one, you can't say, you can't label us as such. Um, but then there are labels that are being misused. So veterinary behaviorist is a qualified vet that has gone and done external certificates after their veterinary degree in behavior. So they've gone away and they've done accredited by the RCVS, so by the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. They've gone and done the certificate further on, same as if they'd gone into orthopedic surgery as such. So the certificates are there for qualified vets to go and do. And that would be the only term you could use as a veterinary behaviorist, which I see an awful lot that's thrown about. And it means that they can see you in a veterinary profession and a behavior profession. So they can actually medicate on top of that as well, or they can do scans and all of that kind of stuff. So those terms are often thrown in different ways as well. And behaviorist, I see an awful lot of behaviorist terms thrown about and that technically isn't anything unless you are actually a veterinary behaviorist you can got you can have gone to uni and studied canine psychology canine behavior all of that kind of stuff that would give you that degree in that but it doesn't because we're unregulated technically there's no such thing as a behaviorist this goes a little bit to the point of things like um you can go and do a degree in law but that doesn't make you a solicitor you know this is that that sort of gap so where in specifically the gun dog industry is there a strand is there a formation and i ask this because i don't know you guys will know better than me of some sort of organization that is testing a gun dog trainer's capability of being a gun dog trainer so not a, a person's ability to handle a dog in the field but anything the same right if you're a gun dog trainer let's say level one you can do this, 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 and this, and you've shown that. So, for example, if we look at a national organizational structure, which is like BTEC or City and Guilds, they will say for level one, you need this, 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 and this. For level two, you need this, 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 and this. And you would have done this many hours and you would have seen this many people. Is there anything like that that's even starting to form? And my next question on top of that, whilst we're on today, if that doesn't start to form somewhere is there a case that other other strands of dog training will impose their structure upon us um i there there are some organizations starting to do things um but again it's using their own umbrella what they think is what should be happening um and that doesn't necessarily mean that by the end of that, if you got all the way to like grade five or grade six or eight or whatever there is, you would then be able to go out on a shoot and your dog would be bang on fine. So there are there are different things, but their certificates, I think, more for the owner and the handler to show the progression within that organization. There is obviously from a dog trainer's point of view, if you wanted to become a judge you would start going through the kennel club j regs you'd take your exams on that you would then adhere to the kennel club when you'd um shadow assessors and stuff like that and you can do that side of things and that would then again make you a judge um so you could be an a or a b panel judge and then you can obviously run tests and run trials and things like that and they're obviously but again you're adhering to the kennel club's idea and version 
of what they think it should look like, which I'm not saying they're wrong or right in doing that, but it's it's not, again, it's not a governing body and it's not a regulation that means you have to do this to say that you're a gun dog trainer. Um, same with um, agility as well. Most agility trainers have just been very good competitors that have then transferred over into teaching it. Um, same with scent work. A lot of scent works taught by people that have either gone through their own organizations of scent work, like scent work UK and all of that kind of stuff, or they've come out of army police, something like that, and trained scent work dogs there and then come out of that and decide they're going to teach. Yeah, you're completely right. And Em's right, Joe, that there are organizations, but again, these organizations are setting up their very own regulations. So they are there are some there are some um, bodies out there now who are doing very specific instructor courses for trainers in gun dog training and what they're teaching is their way it's their way and because this is unregulated what you're seeing is these things are happening and branching out and I'm not saying it's wrong to have them it's not wrong to have them but it misleads the general pet owner if they're being told you need to see somebody qualified with this person you need to see somebody qualified with by that organization because Yes, that's their opinion on it for whatever reason, but they're just teaching their way, their beliefs, their training ethics, um, and they're giving out qualifications to that under their umbrella. So again, it's great that these things are happening, but it is still not a nationally recognized, you know, um, we're unregulated, as we keep saying, we're unregulated. So in the grand scheme of things, if that company folded, you have no qualification. It's just a small company. If that company folded, you don't. It doesn't mean anything anymore. And as well, if that company did fold, that then wouldn't mean you weren't a dog trainer anymore either, because they've they've folded and they take necessarily away that qualification. That wouldn't necessarily mean that then you weren't a dog trainer. So again, back to veterinary medicine, because obviously that's what I know the most about. If for whatever reason the RCVS went under there would be no vets and nobody would be able to practice. So you wouldn't be a vet anymore and you physically couldn't operate on, a, on an animal. But if an organisation folded in the dog training industry, you just wouldn't have that qualification, but you still would be able to see clients and be a dog trainer. You'd still be insured by your own insurance company and you'd still be able to do that. Same as law. I don't know who they're governed by. There's loads of different ones. But again, if they folded, you would still have your law degree, but you wouldn't be able to practice anymore but they wouldn't strip your qualification off you. So it's very different to go from governing body and organisations to kind of the legality of regulations as well. And I don't want people to get us wrong. We're not saying people shouldn't get qualifications. They totally should. You know, um, continual, uh, continual personal development is super important. And we're learning more and more about dog training all the time. So going on courses and expanding your knowledge is really, really important part of what we do. It's just we don't want the public being fooled by the terminology that's being thrown out there. I think that's kind of where we're at, isn't it, with it? You know, we're not saying people shouldn't get qualifications. You absolutely should. I do. I go on courses all the time, but I'm not going to pretend it's something that it's not and try and missell to Joe Public. So let's look a little bit now around the ethics about this because I've done Rob Lane's CIA course. Um, yeah. I really loved every bit of it. 
And in theory, I have a piece of certificate that says joke and dog train. Joe doesn't feel confident dog training because when I look at my two, they're not the level I want them. I'm probably harder than on, on myself than I should be. Um, if you look at it on paper, I've had years and years now of, of being in the gun dog industry. I've watched you guys answer so many things. My my CPD level is probably hours and hours and hours. If I blogged every hour, Huge. I've Huge. read it's massive. However, ethically. I couldn't take money personally for training a dog in a field because I know that I don't know everything that I would need to know to competently help that handler. I know all this stuff. My, my husband always says a little bit like this thing about when he's talking about door people, all oh, gear, no idea. It's a little bit like that. I've got all this stuff <laughs> in my head, but practical, hands-on experience with lots and lots and lots of dogs is nowhere I would want it to be. Ethically, I personally couldn't do that. Is there a case now that is unregulated and nobody's saying you can't be a dog trainer? In theory, I could have took a dog out today and the first time I've seen a gun dog, I'll be a gun dog trainer tomorrow, couldn't I? Yes. In theory, yes. <laughs> so ethically, how do we, what's the word? How do we evaluate whether the dog trainer um, is genuinely got the knowledge and capability to help us or is after our money um so for me I, I think claire will agree as well when i when i first started personally i felt like massive imposter syndrome because there were people that were so much more experienced than me dog training that then looked at me as well you're just starting out you can't possibly be a dog trainer yet um but again this is what claire was saying earlier everyone has to start somewhere i had to gain experience with dogs for me what i had was i had the experience of hundreds of breeds plus a veterinary degree in in veterinary medicine and science with behavior modules on top that i was trying to merge into a business um, without necessarily the experience of teaching people. And I think that's the biggest thing as well. You could be a brilliant dog handler, but you could be awful at teaching people and your message that you're trying to get across doesn't get across. So you could be really qualified and you could have, you could have had loads of dogs. You could have been to loads of different dog training businesses and companies and worked with thousands of breeds. You may have even been a handler and a paid handler in protection or scent work or something like that, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can teach other people to get to the same level of handling that you actively can do. So for me, I would be looking for professional development. Um, so continuing doing courses, referrals. I would be asking to go and maybe watch a class or watch a one-to-one -one, and any dog trainer that would be open and happy to do that would be somebody that I would be seriously considering because I want to see how they're teaching other people. Um, obviously asking trainers this question, we've got really high standards um, because when we decide to take our own dogs to a trainer, we're absolutely scrutinizing everything to make sure that they're the right fit for the dog's personality that we know we've got that we're handling plus also our learning style which we also know because we spent a lot of time learning about learning styles and talking and teaching then other people as well so for me it would be a combination of all of that plus the the experience time frame as well so if we keep on looking at that though, um, the points you made there were uh, incredibly valid 
So for example, um, before I run the Ladies Working Dog Group and it took up my entire life, um, I worked with post-16 adults and there was a qualification we had to have which was called TACA, T-A-Q-A, which basically said that I had been trained to be a teacher stroke trainer, basically. I had to have, I had to show on a CV, years and years of understanding experience of my uh, my trade, shall we say. And then when you had this, it sort of, they sort of gelled together. Do you think for, if you're a gen dog trainer, there should be something that says, okay, well, we can't actually check you out for gen dog training. There's no legal requi like legal requirement or national accreditation. But what we could say is look for an accreditation in, in teaching. I mean, yeah, teaching would be great. I mean, for me personally, I think a gun dog trainer training working gun dogs for the field or competition should have at least been on a shoot um, and understand that level that they're getting to. That that's the biggest thing for, for for me personally. If that if that was what I was looking for, a pet gun dog trainer maybe not as necessary because you can teach the obedience and you can you can get the theory of what it would look like. Um, but you need to have spent time around that kind of environment to know really what what you're looking for, so that there you can you can structure as a trainer your own modules of courses to then be able to build that into what would eventually look like a working gun dog or a pet gun dog but that takes that experience you need to have gone on a shoot in my opinion yeah it's a really interesting one i have a lot of trainers train with me <laughs> um some just work with pet dogs some of them work with gun dogs on more of a pet gun dog training level they're not training them for the field um, and some of them train them for the field and i've got a few with me at the moment that have been training dogs for a few years and only just branching out into the gun dog side and i've got a couple that are very new at being trainers and are training with me and I, i've even had trainers come and shadow me running classes to learn and i think if there were more of that kind of thing available to new trainers in the industry, but we seem to have this issue, or some people seem to have this issue of not wanting to share their knowledge, wanting to keep everything to themselves. And it can be a bit of a bitchy industry, let's be honest, it can be a bit of a, you know, oh no, they're not very good, or they're better than them. And I think that that's one of the reasons there are so many problems in our industry because people are then too afraid to reach out to trainers and ask if they would mentor them, support them, help them. And going back to what you were saying, Emma, about your background, I had a massive background in teaching hairdressing and teaching management training courses. So teaching people isn't a problem for me. I then gained experience of training gun dogs through my own dogs um, and then went on lots of training and behavioral courses standalone ones and then did Robert Elaine's 12-week instructors course before we even started running a puppy class and continued our CPD and so we're you know what we're saying is it's an unregulated industry but we should be encouraging people to come into the industry but also people should be encouraging each other to grow and be better and be the best trainers we can for the dogs yeah i totally agree i mean i had a client come to me the other day 
And at the end of the session, she said to me that she was a she was a dog trainer and do I mind training? And she said, I didn't want to tell you before because I was really worried that you'd say that you didn't want to see me. So that's the kind of thing that we're facing is that other trainers are scared to go to other trainers because they've been told that they won't, they're not happy to train them because they, they're worried they're going to steal their ideas, steal their clients. I, I, I don't know what the reason is. Um, I also find myself it quite difficult to find places to go with my own dogs to train um, as soon as they know my name um, because they obviously know, know from that then the business as well. So it's been really difficult to find um, places to actually train my own dogs as well. And I think that that bit of the industry definitely needs to train uh, change. We are, we are unregulated, but that should really mean that we come together more to create a better life for the dogs that we're trying to teach. I mean, COVID saw a huge, unbelievable increase in dogs. There is plenty of work for all of us. There is more than enough work for every dog trainer. Um, but what we should be doing is supporting each other and sharing things, which is why these courses can be really good because you create a network of people all over the country that that you don't have that worry of them stealing your clients or anything like that. You've got these instructors that have stopped teaching people to teach dogs and they've started teaching people to teach people to teach dogs. Um, and therefore you've then got that support as well. So if something is bugging you or you're struggling with a particular client or case, you can go to these people as well and ask them without the fear of, of people giving you different uh, the wrong advice or no, no advice at all because they're worried about you being better than them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we have to really consider is with these organisations, if these organisations were perhaps a little bit more open minded and supportive of other trainers that are not necessarily having, you know, we don't all agree on exactly exactly the same thing, but we all have a similar ethos and work ethic about what we believe and how we work with dogs. And we shouldn't be closing those doors. You know, we should be keeping those doors open and we all have something to learn from one another. Um, and if we want to provide the very best service for dog owners out there and see change in this industry, we need to lead by example with that. So for any pet owner or any gun dog owner to this and gone, mm, okay, I understand now further how the industry works, but I'm also slightly panicked about how I find a professional and reputable trainer. Because that's what we're saying, isn't it? Take, you know, take everything away, find somebody professional, find somebody reputable. How do they find those people? Firstly, if trainers are transparent in how they train dogs when on that initial inquiry, that's a good start point. You've got to find a trainer who you like the sound of what they do, how they train, what their experience is. Obviously, have a look at qualifications, see what they've done, see how long they've been around the game. What do they do with their own dogs? Do they show their own stuff? Or get to know them. Ask to go and watch a class. You know, we, we regularly have new clients will come to us and we'll watch a class before they sign up with us. Um, because they want to see how we train or and being honest and open in that initial inquiry sort of say this is this is how we work this is our ethos this is what we are and 
ask those questions. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. When you're looking for a trainer, ask them, you know, how long have you been doing this? How do you train dogs? What are your ethics and what is your experience? Um, and let and you know let them come and watch. And I find that when people come and watch, they're like, oh wow, that's that's great because you know it's quite scary going to a trainer for the first time. In terms of behavioural work, obviously we're going. Well, when I do behavioural consultations, I go to the client's home, so that's very different. They're not necessarily coming to watch us first. But I will urge them to give me as much information in advance and I will sort of talk them through how the process works. So it's about having open communication. Yeah, I, I totally agree. For, for me, it's, it's pretty much exactly the same as what Claire said. It's how long have they been doing it? R referrals and reviews from people as well. Watching classes or even a one-to-one -one session if your client that's doing the one-to-one -one is happy to have somebody else come and watch as well. Obviously, some people aren't, some people are. Um, their own kind of CPD, any qualifications that they've decided to go and like get themselves. Um, to me, that shows that a trainer is willing to invest time and effort into their own training as well and, and continue that training as the dog training industry like changes and evolves and grows they're keeping up with that as well which i think is really important um and then also like social media accounts and things like that what are they what are they posting on their own that shows professionalism um what are they experiencing themselves as well so what are they doing with their dogs have they shared videos of, of what they're doing with their dogs as well um have they shown videos of classes as well so can you see any classes on there what online content can you get to or get access to straight away um, and then for me it's then a personal how do I feel about the person so how do I feel about that trainer are we going to click are we going to rub up the wrong way do I like their learning their training style do I like how they teach um, and are they going to get then the best out of me and my dog as well on that as well so there's a little bit of right what can they show me and what can we what could we eventually achieve and then do i actually get on with this person enough to listen and take that advice because obviously you've you've got to you've got to listen to them i feel as dog trainers especially our behavior cases we delve into quite a personal level in our dog training clients lives um, especially if we're doing home visits and things like that we we see their home we see how they live we see their family their kids um and we we get quite personal with them and that obviously needs a level of trust so if you feel a vibe it could be right or wrong from that person you're not going to open yourself up to be able to be trained by them so that that needs that as well i i think another amazing podcast as always if you've enjoyed this podcast it's definitely worth going back and listening to um a podcast we did i, I think it was over a year ago now called um the Wild West of Dog Training. I think it's like that. It's one of the very first ones. Go back and listen to that as well. Um, and also, you'll probably absolutely love Where's the Middle Ground. That's another one we did. It's probably worth listening to that as well. So thank you both for being fantastic. Any final thoughts on the matter before we put this podcast episode to bed? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, if you're an owner out there um, and you're looking for a dog trainer, don't be suckered in by terminology and all that kind of thing and be mindful in your headspace that when you're looking at 
qualifications. There is no regulation. We're an unregulated industry. So those qualifications are absolutely under the umbrella and organization that that person has signed up to. And look for a trainer who you feel that you can work with, you like what you see of their work, whether it's that you see their work online or you go and watch a class or something first. Be comfortable with making those decisions. That, that's for that. And I'd also say for trainers, let's try and get more open communication about what our industry is and, and what we are and be honest with the public about that as well let's not try and mislead people down garden paths about you know what we are who we are and how we train um i think every dog trainer in the industry i would hope went into this to do the best for the dogs and owners that they work with and we all have that in common and let's just work toward helping people have better behaved dogs and get the best out of their dogs. Emma? Yeah, I was just going to add very, very similar, but also to make sure that the trainer that you choose to go and see is adaptive so they can adapt to the dog that's in front of you. They don't just go, right, okay, this is how I teach it. And then if the dog doesn't get it, that's your problem. Um, make sure that your trainer is willing to adjust, adapt, use different tools, different methods, because that again shows that they've been through different organizations, CPD and things, and they've pulled all of that into something that they intuitively think is going to help your dog. And they've molded themselves as a trainer in their own in their own right. And you've just prompted me to add something else, Em, you know, the importance that just because somebody says they have 30 years experience doesn't necessarily mean they're an amazing trainer. Just because somebody says they have only been doing it five years doesn't mean they're not an amazing trainer. Look deeper than that. Look at everything. Look at the whole package. Um, and I think you can't be, go far wrong. And for new trainers out there that are doing this and that are really passionate about getting into this industry i would highly recommend you seek out the best courses to improve your own continual professional development i always struggle with that sentence cpd i should just say cpd um seek it out keep learning keep striving to be a better trainer um and just be honest with the clients you're working with and if you have limitations on what you can offer be honest, don't take on more than you can chew. Em? Yeah, just another thing to follow on, same, same, very similar point is make sure your trainer is very on board with your end goal. Don't let them change your end goal. Um, make sure that you're very, very open and honest about what you want to achieve. And yes, that might change as you get into it and you start to enjoy it. It may get bigger or it may just stay as the same goal but make sure they're not heavily influencing to train you into something that you don't want to be doing. They're fantastic um, final thoughts. I'm going to end this podcast now. Before we leave, I'm just going to add to this. A lot of people send us the question, what, um, what type of training organisation we, are we at the Ladies Working Dog Group? And I think that we try to be very much encompassing of, of all trainers. If we want to sort of 
boil it down. We literally are absolutely all of our trainers and certainly all our group experts, they're positive reinforcement trainers who believe in corrective, constructive correction. So I think if you're looking for somebody who's going to make sure that you have a really strong, powerful bond with your dog and that your dog actually responds to the training you're giving them, please make sure that you get in touch with them and they'll be more than happy to help. It's just really, really important thing that just pinged into my head then. If you're working with a trainer and they are only using management and only using distractions in training, you will not change your dog's behaviour. And I know that me and Em talk about this a lot and I know I just suddenly thought of that right at the end, Joe. but... It's just a really valid point that all dog owners should be thinking, is this person helping me change my dog's behavior to get to my goal? Or are we just distracting and just managing the dog for life? So thank you all for your help. Thank you all for, um, thank you to both experts for being amazing as always. Thank you to all those listening. We really do enjoy your feedback. Please make sure you put your comments up, hashtag LWDGPoddog. I'm sure we have a lot of comments back on that. And we are open to receiving all of your comments and your questions. Please make sure to join us next week for another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now, we all know training a dog takes time, energy, and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com. Thank you.